I want to talk to you about my relationship with running. It will um, probably come to you as no surprise that uh, to maintain this lithe, sleek physique uh, does in fact take a great deal of effort. When I was growing up, uh, I was, uh, I, I humbly confess, I was a very good runner. Um, I uh, used to run about four, maybe five times a week, and I, I ran for our school cross-country team. Uh, and I, I qualified uh, to run for our city, Sheffield, where I was living. Uh, and then from Sheffield, I, I qualified to run for our county, uh, and I ran at a national championship. When I was younger, uh, I was a very, very committed runner. But as with lots of things, as I've grown older, my attitude towards running has changed somewhat. Uh, where before I would uh, commit to go running four or five times a week, whatever the condition, uh, now I will only run when the conditions are perfect. Uh, I will only run if I'm not too hungry. I'll only run if I'm not too hungry because uh, if I'm, in my mind I'm going on a 20-mile run. Uh, and if I go on a 20-mile run hungry, by mile 10 when I have to turn and come back, uh, I'll be all out of energy. I won't have the energy within me to complete my 20-mile run. Uh, and then I'll have, to, um, I'll have to stop running and call my mum or Alice or maybe one of you uh, and get you to come and pick me up and drive me home. So for the sake of everyone here, I don't run when I'm too hungry. I also don't run... Uh, when I've eaten too recently, if you're a, a premier athlete like I am, uh, you'll recognise that when you run, you, you bounce a lot. Uh, and if, you've, uh, if you're running as you, if you, not if you're running as you bounce, uh, if you're um, bouncing and you've got a stomach that's full of food, uh, that food will reappear. Uh, and the problem is, is that the food will reappear as I run around the meadows and it will reappear on your nice new work shoes. Uh, and so for everyone's sake, I don't run if I've eaten too recently. Uh, I don't run if the weather conditions aren't perfect. I, I, I want everything to be perfect. If it's too cold, I don't want to run because then I'll be grumpy. If it's raining, I won't run because then I'll get wet. Uh, if it's too hot, I won't run, then I'll sweat too much and my hair won't look as perfect as it should do. Uh, I won't run if I've not got the latest tech. I love the latest tech. Uh, if you're a, a premier runner like myself, then you will know that making every effort count is absolutely vital. You've got to have the right heart rate monitor, the right watch on your wrist. You've got to be able to measure how many miles you've run, the pace you're running at them. So for, the, for my own well-being, I don't run uh, if I've not got the right tech to measure uh, my efforts. I won't run if my trainers don't look quite like they should. I want my trainers to make a statement about the kind of runner that I am, so they need to look cool. So if my trainers are a bit too scrappy or scruffy, I won't run. Uh, I'll wait until I've got enough money to get some new trainers so I can look good. Uh, I won't run uh, if it's early in the morning, because if it's early in the morning, then I'll be tired for the rest of the day at work. And that's not professional. I've got to turn up, do a job, so I don't run early in the morning. Uh, and I won't run late at night either, because in the evenings is when I'm meant to be seeing my wife, Alice. Uh, and if I run in the evenings, I don't see Alice, then she'll get mad, and that won't go well for our relationship. So I decide not to run late at night either. Uh, for me to run, the conditions have to be absolutely perfect. But the problem is, is because I create all of these uh, rules and regulations, all of these criteria that need to be met, uh, all that I ensure is that I never really go running. I create all of these rules that have to be met, all of these criteria uh, that need to be fulfilled, uh, and obviously they'll never be fulfilled, so the end result is that I never really go running anymore. Uh, we're talking this morning about being steadfast in prayer. Uh, we're talking about being committed to praying, uh, to engaging with God. And the, the beginning of us starting to be steadfast in prayer is a decision and a commitment to pray regardless of our external circumstances. 
Uh, maybe uh, your prayer life is a bit like my relationship with exercise. Uh, everything has to be absolutely perfect for you to decide to pray. Uh, sometimes I, uh, I know that I need to, to pray first thing in the morning, but my alarm goes off and I hit snooze because I'm a bit too tired and I, I don't want to be um, tired for the rest of the working day. Sometimes uh, I don't really feel that connected with God, so I decide not to pray. Sometimes there's nothing I particularly feel passionate about, so I, I decide not to pray. Uh, and before I know it, I've created uh, loads of criteria, loads of rules that have to be met uh, before I'll decide to pray. Uh, maybe you're like that. Maybe uh, you find lots and lots of different exceptions, lots of different ways for you to, to let yourself off the hook, lots of reasons not to pray. Uh, today we're talking about being steadfast in prayer. Uh, and for some of us today, the decision is, first of all, to pray. Uh, and not just to pray when we feel like it, not just to pray when it feels convenient or easy or straightforward, but to pray regardless, to pray come what may. Uh, Scotland has a, a rich history of God doing incredible things, uh, a rich history of God doing incredible things in this land, in this country. Uh, and God um, has done incredible things, uh, at least in part because people have committed themselves to praying. Uh, people said, whether it is convenient for me or not, I'll pray. Whether I feel like it or not, I'll pray. Whether I feel like I have enough faith, enough um, commitment, enough passion to pray, I will pray come what may. Uh, we need to be a church that is committed to praying, whether we feel like it or not, whether, it, um, whether we think we have enough faith, whether we think our lives are organized or together enough, we need to decide to be steadfast in prayer. Uh, prayer often uh, isn't glamorous, it doesn't win any prizes, it's not uh, often that attractive to some people, but we need to be uh, resolving to pray, committed to praying, regardless of our circumstances. In our passage this morning, uh, Paul says that he is in chains, and still he prays. Still Paul prays, and he encourages the church to pray. Now, if, um, if I was Paul, uh, I would have found 101 different excuses and reasons for, for me not to pray in that jail. I would have said, well, I'm in a, I'm in a Roman jail. That means uh, it's unclean, it's crowded, it's cramped. Um, it's disgusting. There are other people in the cell with me. There are guards outside. I would have found 101 different get-out clauses, different exceptions for me not to pray. Uh, but Paul says, Paul decides that that's the way that he is going to live. That's the way that he is committed to living. The thing that he is committed to doing, come what may, uh, regardless of his external circumstances, regardless of how uh, organized or ordered his world is, uh, Paul is going to relentlessly, steadfastly pray. Does that sound like your relationship with prayer? Does that sound like your attitude to engaging with God? Uh, we need to resolve to pray, come what may, uh, whether our external world is uh, organized and neat, but we need to decide to pray. Uh, in a, another part of the New Testament, um, Paul's in prison uh, and he sees people come to faith. Now, if I'm willing to bet that I'll find reasons not to pray in prison, I'm also willing to bet that I'll find reasons not to share my faith in prison as well. If I was Paul, I would have tried to ignore, dodge, create loads and loads of different exceptions for not sharing faith, but Paul is resolute. Paul is steadfast. Paul is going to pray and he's going to share his faith with people. Uh, often, uh, just like we create reasons to not pray, we also create reasons to not share our faith as well. We create reasons not to tell anyone about Jesus. We say, oh, I'll share Jesus. I'll tell my friends about uh, who Jesus is when my life is more together, uh, when I feel like I have more faith, when I feel like I have fewer 
questions when I feel like I know the person in front of me better when uh, they start asking me questions. I don't, I don't want to push my faith onto someone. Uh, and before we know it, uh, as well as creating rules around when we will and won't pray, we also create a whole load of exceptions around when we will and won't tell people about Jesus. Uh, and we create so many exceptions that uh, we decide that the only way we'll tell someone about Jesus is when they're walking straight into the baptism pool uh, with a membership card in their right hand and a copy of the Greek New Testament in their left hand that they can fully understand. Uh, and all we end up doing uh, is missing out on opportunities to tell people about Jesus. Uh, all we end up doing is uh, creating loads of get-out clauses, loads of exceptions for ourselves around when we'll share faith and when we'll pray, around uh, when we will do the things that God's calling us to do. Uh, this morning, uh, some of you are going to make decisions to be steadfast in prayer, uh, to pray regardless, to say that I, I, this is the way that I want to live. This is how I'm choosing to live my life, the direction I'm choosing to travel, uh, and nothing will knock me off course. Uh, nothing will tell me that I can't pray steadfastly. I might be uh, in prison, my uh, life might be difficult, people might be, my relationships might not all be as they need to be, whatever, I'm committed to praying. I'm committed to engaging with God and to praying and to seeking Him. Uh, in our first verse uh, this morning, Paul calls uh, the church in Colossians to devote themselves in prayer. Paul says, uh, devote yourselves to prayer. Now, uh, Google tells me that uh, devote uh, means, to have, uh, means to have love, to be loyal, uh, and to inspire enthusiasm. Uh, does the word prayer create those set of emotions inside you? Does it uh, create in you a, a feeling of love? Uh, does it inspire enthusiasm? Uh, does it generate a sense of loyalty within you? Uh, does that sound like your prayer life? Does that sound like the way that you engage with God? Uh, often for me, my prayer life can feel uh, more like a duty than it can a joy, uh, like a, a thing that I have to tick off, a thing that I have to get through, uh, rather than a thing that I love to do. Uh, and when that happens, uh, that's often because I've lost perspective. Uh, it's often because I've lost perspective. We're called uh, to have uh, feelings of devotion towards God's. Uh, and often, uh, when those feelings of devotion go, it's because I'm not thinking about God anymore, but about the way that I have to pray. And I've got so focused on uh, praying in a particular way and doing a particular thing that I've lost sight of the one that I'm praying to. Uh, we're not called to be devoted to our method or model or way of praying, but we're called to be devoted to God. And as we're devoted to God, as we have feelings of uh, love, loyalty, and enthusiasm towards Him, that's what inspires us and motivates us to pray. Uh, when those feelings of devotion go, uh, often for me that's because I've turned prayer into a list. Prayer has become uh, a transaction. Uh, it's become about me coming with my uh, 16 things that I need God to do uh, and going and stapling them on God's door and saying, when you do these things, that's when uh, I'll start to pull my weight a little bit. Uh, it becomes about me uh, dumping all of my expectations, all of my requirements at the feet of God, uh, but never listening to God's. Uh, when my prayer life starts to go downhill, often it's because I've turned my relationship with God into a transaction. Uh, I've turned my relationship with God into a transaction. I've stopped uh, trying to meet with God and listen to the things that he might want to say to me, the things he might want to engage me with. Uh, and I've dumped a list of things for him to do at his doorstep. Uh, in our passage, Paul says that we should be uh, seasoned with salt. He says that we should have conversations that are uh, full of grace and seasoned with salt. 
as Paul says that, I think he's um, hinting and talking about uh, the way that we engage with people should be full of the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, the way that we engage with people should be full of peace, patience, love, kindness, self-control, mercy. Uh, it should be uh, full of the things that God is about. Uh, as we engage with people in this world, we should uh, have conversations and relationships that have been seasoned with salt. And often, uh, if our relationships aren't seasoned with salt, it's because uh, we've turned our prayer life into a transaction rather than an encounter. Uh, it's become about um, me presenting God with my list rather than having a, a meeting with God, uh, rather than listening to the things that he might want to say, the ways that he might want to transform us. Uh, because God is the source of all of the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, God is the source of all love. He's the source of all truth. He's the source of all kindness and all mercy. And, uh, if what I need in my life is more of the fruits uh, of that relationship, that means I need to spend more time with God. That means I need to spend more time listening to God, waiting on God. It means I need to spend more time reading the Bible, not in a, a way that's just about gaining more information, but it's about listening for the voice of God, listening to what it is that God might be saying. As you pray, is your relationship with God more about uh, doing a thing, ticking a box, about presenting your list, uh, or is it about an encounter? Uh, is it about meeting with God and allowing him to speak? about allowing him to uh, demonstrate his mercy, his love, his kindness, him uh, encouraging you to live differently. How does your prayer life look? How does it feel? We had uh, a kingdom come uh, prayer night a, a few weeks ago, and we do kingdom come because we want to uh, gather as a church family with uh, no agenda, no plan. We want to spend time uh, in the presence of God, and it got to... Um, maybe an hour or so through our time, uh, and one of the students, Grant, who's playing bass this morning, um, shared, a, shared something that he'd seen uh, earlier in the day. Uh, Grant was saying that his, um, his bedroom window looks over a school gate, uh, and as he was uh, doing his work, he saw uh, all the parents lining up outside the school uh, and all the children coming out after school. And so it was fascinating to watch the ways the children approached their parents. Uh, some would uh, run up and throw themselves uh, into their parents' arms. Others would uh, quietly kind of sidle up and have a conversation with them. And every child approached their parent in a slightly different way. Uh, and when, uh, after Grant had shared that, um, we responded in a, a particular way in prayer. And I, I want us to do that now. Uh, would, you, um, would you stand just for a moment? It's not that um, standing is spiritual. It doesn't make you a few feet closer to God. It's just that... It means everyone listens, which is really helpful. <laughs> um, as we uh, encounter God, as we meet with God, it's not just about uh, us presenting our list to God, about us telling God a particular set of things, but allowing uh, God to speak back to us. It's about uh, us saying the things that are in our heart to God, the things that uh, motivate and concern us, and uh, allowing God to speak to us. So would you, um, would you all just close your eyes for a moment? Uh, and just as uh, those children uh, approached their parents at the school gate, uh, I'd just love for you to picture God, whatever you think God looks like. Uh, when I picture God, God has um, kind of square black glasses and a black goatee beard. Your God doesn't have to have a beard, however you want to picture him. But just picture him now. And how... How do you want to approach God? 
Do you want to um, run at him and throw yourself in his arms? Do you want to quietly go up and shake him by the hand? However it is, just do that now. after you've approached him how are you with him do you sit next to him on a chair do you sit on his knee do you stay standing just be attentive to each of the little details What do you want to say to him? What do you want him to know? And then what does he say back to you? Why don't you sit down? See, prayer isn't about um, us presenting God with a list. It's not about us going and asking God to do everything that we think that God should do, but it's about creating a space where we meet with him. Uh, Creating a space where we we meet with him, we tell him how we're feeling. Uh, We say the things to God that we want God to say, but we also create a space for God to speak back to us. God does that in loads of different ways. He does that uh, as we read our Bibles, as we have conversations with people, but God also does that as we create a space for him as we pray, uh, as we create uh, a room for God uh, to point out different things, to encourage us, to correct us in certain things. Uh, Prayer is more about an encounter with God than it is about a checklist, than it is about ticking through a box of things. Uh, And as we encounter God, we we meet with the one who is the source of all life and joy and hope, who's the source of all um, peace and mercy and kindness. Uh, And as we do that, uh, we get transformed. 
Uh, something in us changes when we stop holding God at arm's length with a list and we invite him to draw closer to us in an encounter. It doesn't have to be um, crazy spiritual. It doesn't have to take very long. It doesn't have to um, be anything other than a time where you get to go and be with God. Uh, are you steadfast in prayer? Uh, do you refuse to let uh, your external circumstances dictate to you uh, whether you're going to pray or not? Uh, have you decided, like Paul's decided, that this is too important for you not to do it? This is too vital for you to shut off? Have you decided that's the way that you're going to live regardless and as you uh, pray, you meet with God and you encounter him? Uh, in verse 3, Paul says, uh, pray that God may open the doors so that we can share faith so that we can proclaim the mysteries of Christ, he says. Uh, as we uh, choose to be steadfast in prayer, as we uh, encounter God rather than present him as a list, uh, we see that God opens doors for us to share our faith. Uh, maybe to you sometimes it feels like as you tell people about Jesus, you're, you're trying to kick the door down, like you're trying to put all your weight behind it and, and ram it with your shoulder and uh, you're hoping that one day it will fling open. There are times when we need to be uh, gently persistent in sharing our faith, but uh, we also believe in a God who opens doors. As Paul prays, he knows that God will open the doors for him to proclaim the mysteries of Christ. It won't be about uh, him striving, about his effort, about his uh, focus, but about uh, waiting on God, the one who's the source of all uh, life, the one who's the source of all salts, and letting him open the doors. I, I went to play uh, pitch and putt uh, last year. Uh, and I, I love playing pitch and putt. I got um, a pitcher and a putter for Christmas so that whenever I can go and play pitch and putt on Brunsfield Links. Um, and uh, one Sunday afternoon uh, last summer, uh, me and a few people from church went to play pitch and putt uh, after the morning services. Uh, and we'd done um, about 16 holes and it started to rain, so we, we abandoned pitch and putt. But on the, the way back, um, the way back uh, Mark uh, Cameron, the worship director here, decided that he wanted to try uh, a Happy Gilmore shot. Now, um, for the uninitiated amongst you, the Happy Gilmore shot means that you, you put your ball on the floor, uh, you take several steps back, you take a run-up and a huge swing, and you try and hit the ball as far as you can from a kind of running start. Now, Mark Cameron is not blessed with great hand-eye coordination, it turns out. Mark Cameron ran up and swung at the ball and hit the floor. Uh, and several times, over and over and over again, all Mark Cameron succeeded in doing was digging a hole to China. He didn't get anywhere near the ball. The ball didn't move. All he did was create a huge, unseemly cavern on Brunswick. You can still see it from space now. All you can see is a huge hole where Mark Cameron is still swinging and still missing at the ball. But I, am, I saw Mark Cameron and I thought, that man doesn't have great hand-eye coordination, but in the arrogance of youth, assumed that I would be much, much better than Mark. So I, I dropped my ball, I took several paces back, I relaxed my shoulders, unfurled my hips, and I swung, and I knocked that ball into outer space. I connected with that ball more cleanly than anyone here has ever connected with a ball, but there was a problem because the ball was headed straight towards a parked Ferrari. <laughs> and not just at any part of a parked Ferrari, but the windows of a parked Ferrari. And everything in me felt sick and I started to panic. 
But as the ball um, flew across Brunsfield Link, several hundred yards towards the parked Ferrari's windows, uh, suddenly there must have been a change of wind direction or something, and the ball uh, swerved in direction. So now, rather than aiming at the windows of the parked Ferrari, it was going to bounce off Barclay Beforth Church uh, and hit the side panel. I thought, oh, gosh, I wonder what's more expensive. Uh, is a window of a Ferrari more expensive than replacing the whole door? I still don't know. Uh, but by another um, pure fluke or, or chance, uh, rather, than hit the, rather than hit Barclay Beforth Church and bounce back, uh, the ball hit a parking meter <laughs> perfectly. Uh, as perfectly as I struck the ball, the ball hit the parking meter, and rather than uh, bounce back and hit the Ferrari, it shot off down the street. My ball didn't hit a car at all. Uh, it shot off down the street by the bins into Toll Cross and never to be seen again. And I breathed the biggest sigh of relief. Uh, we, can, um, we can be sharing our faith and we can be uh, running up and taking a, a swing at the ball and all we can do uh, is dig a huge big hole. Uh, we can try and do it in our own strength, in our own energy, in our own drive, in our own, uh, what we think is our own strength. Uh, or we can wait for God to open the door. Uh, and when we do that, when we see God start to open doors, when we uh, choose to pray, when we're steadfast in prayer, uh, when we encounter God and we start to see him do things, uh, John 5.19 says, the Father shows the Son what he's doing. Uh, when we start to see what God is doing in the world around us, uh, it's no longer about our effort, uh, but about waiting for that perfect moment of connection when suddenly everything seems to line up. Uh, this morning, uh, are you asking God to open doors? Are you saying, God, I don't want it to be uh, all about my own brute strength, all about my own ability, but God, I want to be uh, walking through the doors that you're calling me to. Uh, we can use that as a getter. Uh, we can use that as a reason never to share faith. Or we can uh, earnestly pray and ask and be uh, pushing doors wherever we go. We can uh, be committed just to um, dropping in uh, Jesus in conversations to see if the doors open with people. Uh, we can be committed to seeing what it is that God's doing. Uh, so today, uh, are you willing to commit yourself to being steadfast in prayer? Uh, that come what may, whatever your uh, external circumstances are, whether it feels like life is neatly uh, organized or sometimes it's a bit complicated and messy, uh, you're committed to praying. Uh, you're resolved to praying. Uh, and as you uh, pray, as you choose to be steadfast in prayer, uh, are you uh, choosing to encounter God, choosing to meet with him uh, in a way that uh, lets God speak to you? In a way that means that you get to hear the things that God's saying to you rather than just holding him at arm's length with a list. Uh, and from that place of encounter, uh, are you inviting God to show you what he's doing? Are you inviting God to open doors so that people might know the mysteries of Christ, that people might meet with Jesus for the first time? Amen.